Hey friends, it's Lauren here. Just a reminder that tomorrow, Thursday, June 30th, 2022, is the last day to get your all the fuck in sticker. We will mail a sticker to anyone who joins our Patreon community for $5 or more per month. So this is a great time to join. When you support us on Patreon, you're helping to cover expenses like the website, transcripts, editing, and of course, the time and energy that Tristan and I put into producing these episodes and the labor of our friends, Garrett and Kerr, who help us on the back end. Plus, as a Patreon member, you get access to the video versions of our episodes and free or discounted access to offerings like our recent community agreements workshop. Head to the link in our show notes to join Patreon at $5 or more per month by tomorrow, June 30th, and I will put your sticker in the mail shortly. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Welcome. This is All The Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hey y'all, welcome back. This is Tristan Tristan speaking. My pronouns are they, them. <laughs> this is Lauren. I use she and her. We're so excited to be talking with our guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself with your name and pronouns? Yes, thank you. My name is Trudy LeBron and I use she and her. Thank you, Trudy. Thank you for so much for being here. It's really an honor to have time in conversation with you. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Absolutely. Would you... Uh, uh, follow our usual episode prompts and offer um, some identities, whatever feels resonant in yes. this moment and your astrology. Yes, of course. So I am a straight biracial woman, um, cisgendered woman. I am a Libra mm. and my now see now I can't remember if it's my moon I have my other two dominant now I'm gonna confuse the rising and the moon but it's Capricorn and Aquarius oh I believe it's rise ascendant is the is Capricorn and the other was Aquarius yeah I'm pretty sure I looked it up the other day for a strange conversation I was in This is interesting. We've had many Aquarius moons, including Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I'm also very proud to say I have one too. So that, and also the Libra thing makes so much sense with your, I've said this, I think to other guests too, like if you're into justice, like you're going to have Libra yeah. pretty front and center yes. on your chart. 
I love Will that. you yeah. tell our listeners, for those who aren't familiar with your work, what you do? And I would love to hear too, like, oh. how'd you get here doing what you do, Trudy? Oh, yeah. I'm happy to share all that. So what I do, so I am a, I primarily identify as a coach and consultant. I support people who are business owners and leaders in business, uh, do business with an anti-racist and equity-centered lens. Um I'm also the founder of the Institute for Equity-Centered Coaching. And so in our company, it's kind of a split practice. So we teach coaching and leadership. We certify people in equity-centered coaching and equity-centered leadership. And then in our consulting arm of our practice, we are working with clients um, doing that kind of equity-centered business development, leadership development. So that's what we do. And how did I get here? It's, um, I actually started in the nonprofit world. I spent most of my young career in the nonprofit, in the nonprofit industry, working with youth, primarily my first area of expertise. The thing that I like started my company first was actually a youth development consulting firm. And I was known for in my community, um, for doing a training and, um, consulting, for social workers, teachers, youth development practitioners um, who were working with young people um, who were, you know, the, the term that lots of people use that I don't like is high risk, but kids who grew up in communities like the community that I grew up in um, learn how to basically learn how to do their work with young people in a way that was more youth focused and equity centered. And as um, my career kind of unfolded, and I started to do more consulting and at the same time, like simultaneously doing consulting, learning how to grow my own business and also pursuing my graduate um, studies in psychology. And I specialized in um, psychology and the this specialization that I was able to focus on was um, public administration and social change for my master's degree. And then my PhD work was in social psychology. And it was really looking at these intersections of like, how we facilitate change, like how change happens at the like community level, like the community psychology, social psychology level, but what is happening in the policy and practice in public administration, like inside institutions that either facilitates those changes happening or impedes them, you know, impedes that kind of growth. Um, and so I was kind of in this like beautiful, like intersection of worlds that allowed me to see how we have all this understanding of what works, like how to be, we, we have the, the concepts of equity, like we understand what those are and justice, but we're not good at applying them and institutionalizing them. And so I was able to start kind of experimenting with actual policy and protocol and institutions that started to create space for at that originally young people to kind of be more who they are. Um, and then I had opportunities to do diversity, equity, and inclusion training with national organizations and started doing that kind of consulting. And again, learning more about business and growing my own business. And so it all kind of came together to the work that I'm doing right now. Mm, amazing. I feel like Lauren's going to have a follow-up question. Yeah, I was going to say, and so that's a lot and not very long. And also, weren't you parenting at the same time? Yes. Oh yes. my goodness. So then that's actually what motivated me to kind of take that career path on. So my like origin story is that I was a teen mom of two children by the time I was 16 years old. So I dropped out of high school in ninth grade. I had these two kids um, and I was 
kind of trying to figure out how to be a person, you know, like, and a <laughs> like how to be a human, like an adult human, and also how to be a parent and, you know, all, all of the things that think people are, all the things that young people are trying to figure out simultaneously doing that while having like two kids. Right. Um, and the world was really mean, <laughs> like the, you know, just society was really, really, um, mean and had really strong messages about what my life was supposed to look like or should look like and what having two kids at that age meant. Um, and those scenarios, like those, those scripts as those social scripts, right? What happens is for a lot of folks is that they internalize those and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and I was really obsessed even when I started, um, when I started my first, you know, my bachelor's degree, really obsessed with trying to understand what makes the difference between young people who, you know, I grew not unfortunately, just the, the circumstances were that I grew up in a community where like I had two kids when I was 15 or 16, but I was also not the only one. I had plenty of peers who also had children at that time. Um, the pregnancy rate, the teen pregnancy rate where um, I grew up was like 22% or something like that at the time that I had my children. Um, so it wasn't uncommon. But what I knew just because I grew up in the community that I grew up in is that some people can face adversity and kind of turn that around and really achieve some amazing things. And other people face that adversity and it really kind of consumes them right and through no fault of their own but I wanted to understand why and that's why I pursued like psychology and like started studying those kinds of things um so yeah I I feel like I lost my train of thought but um that that is what um I was very stubborn in that I knew that all of the things that people were telling me, including that, like, I would be poor forever and a burden on society and my kids were going to be struggling forever and all of these things that I was not going to let that happen by whatever means necessary. And fortunately, I had the kind of supports and the protective factors in my life that allowed me to do and, and privileges, right, um, that allowed me to overcome some really daunting odds and get a PhD in all no, of no PhD. Yeah. So I don't have the PhD. I have finished. I am ABD. I have done all my coursework. So here's what is interesting. So a couple of years ago, um, I'd finished all my coursework and I was getting ready to write my dissertation and I got a book deal. <laughs> and so I was like, Hmm, <laughs> Let me think, am I going to pursue this opportunity? Like I got an agent, like people were starting to talk to me seriously about like writing a book. So I was like, okay, do I write a dissertation or do I put all that time and energy that's going to be required of me back essentially into the business? And we there all know, you, you know, where, where I put my time. So I'll get to it. I'm, I don't feel super pressed about it. I was gonna say. Eventually I'll get to it. Well, and you're doing with, you know, not having completed the doctorate, what a lot of people who pursue doctorate want to get to, which is being published. And like, that is exactly right. Yeah. I definitely have that conversation with myself. Like, what is it about the PhD? There's actually not many things and possibly nothing that I can't do that I would be able to do with it. Cause it's not a clinical degree. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to be a, like a therapist or something. Um, but there is like a personal desire to like finish what I started, you know, and like to, to have it. So I'll that's get understandable. 
Yeah. 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 How do you, oh, go ahead, Lauren. Oh, no, just um, as, as you were talking, Trudy, about the difference between folks who are able to move past all of those barriers and stories that society puts on them and those who aren't like, I, I was like, oh, protective factors. And you name that for yes. folks who don't know what that means. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what protective factors might look like? Yeah, so there are all of these kinds of things in our life that um, influence, like our lives are a combination of so many like internal and external influences and external influences can kind of be categorized in like, like neutral factors, like things that like don't have too much of an influence over your life, um, protective factors, which are things that actually add um, to the chances that you're going to be successful, like they protect you from negative consequences. And then there are risk factors. So things that occur in your life um, that that lead to basically more chances that you're going to have some kind of hardship. Um, so risk factors tend to be more easily to identify, right? If you grow up in a home um, where your parents are divorced or there's abuse or you are dealing with poverty or, you know, you, if you live in a community that has a lot of violence and I had a lot of those things when I was a kid, but protective factors are things like, um, you know, that you have people who believe in you and you have community, you have people who are supporting you and you are safe and you are not hungry, right? Like you have things that are contributing to the success in your life. And for me, even though I had tons of risk factors, I also had, even though my parents were divorced, they um, were both active parts of our upbringing. Both of them worked, even though once they got divorced, we were definitely, we were never like, we never had a lot of money, but um, you know, there was a financial instability um, at different points in our lives, especially after the divorce. Um, but we were very, very loving. We didn't have any abuse. I didn't have any learning disabilities. I happen to be, even though I am biracial and my father is a dark-skinned man, I am a light-skinned Latina, right? Um, I speak English well, like I don't have any, I said the learning disabilities. So there are, and, and in fact, I take to things quite easily, right? So all of those things are things that allow us to kind of overcome you know, adversity, there are also like personality traits, like, you know, I'm not quick to anger anymore, like it's something I had to learn. But you know, as an adult, like, I, I learned to kind of um, moderate my temper and think, you know, just things like that, that help to, um, I learned how to advocate for myself and my needs quite young. So those are all things that if we can instill in young people, um, they're just like way more likely to have success. And if people are interested in that, I would recommend looking up um, the adolescent youth development, um, de oh, developmental assets. There are 40 developmental assets um, and they have those for children at all ages. But again, when I was at my specialization happened to be um, 13 to 21 year olds. So those are the things that you're looking to instill in young people that are really lifelong protective factors. Yeah. Thank you for going into that. Cause I know there's so much conversation about trauma and adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. but there is that other side yes. of resilience. And there's, I think there's even a quiz of like, what are you, what protective factors yeah. did you have? And, and even if you don't, even if you have a high ACEs score and a low resilience score, that doesn't mean you don't have any assets maybe available to you. So um, exactly. it's not this like 
self-fulfilling thing. We actually had Dr. Sean Jenright on the podcast recently. And a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of his work. Oh, Um, great. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot about like assets and um, his background was in youth development too. So anyway, makes me feel kind of the warm and fuzzies when I hear people. Yes. Yes. I want to hear, I want to hear you talk about the book, but before we go there, the thing that's coming up for me is like, I'm really wrestling with um, white supremacy culture and our academia status and institutions of academia how do you reconcile that like as somebody who was on the phd track and is like now like maybe you'll go back and finish your dissertation maybe you won't you don't need it but like how do you reconcile academia with white supremacy culture yeah that's a tough one i feel like um for me as a person who has so many odds against them right my kind of policy is like, do what you can do, like get what you can get and do what you can do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and so I, like I can say as, as confidently as I can say today that like, if I didn't have, if whether I get a PhD or not, like I'm gonna be fine. That's now, you know, mm-hmm. like when I was 28, like applying for jobs and in the nonprofit industry, that was not the case. My master's degree was the thing mm-hmm. that like pulled me out of poverty, like hands down. There's no way that I would have been able to start the consulting firm that I was able to start and make the case for people to pay me what they were paying me if I did not have that credential, you know? And I have no, like whether or not I like it, do I agree that that should be the case? Absolutely not. Now I can interrupt that by when I hire people, we don't have, um, in, you know, in our company, we don't have a degree requirement, but that cake, that, that standard was not there for me or that door was not there for me to walk through. Mm-hmm. So I went, I got my master's degree. I leveraged the hell out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and now I get to interrupt that pattern, not just in my company, but now in the, in the companies that I consult for, mm-hmm. I can help them think through whether that's a policy they should have. So I didn't, I could have been, you know, like, no, I ain't getting no master's degree, but I wouldn't have the influence that I have now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate you naming all of that. Yeah. Tell us about the book. (laughs) The book. I'm so (laughs) excited about the book. So the book is called The Anti-Racist Business Book. And um, actually, I know we're on video. I'll show. I have a copy right here. I just got them yesterday. Um, Folks on the Patreon who are going to be able to watch this, you can see the cover. Um, You can also check out Instagram and it's all over my Instagram page. I'm just very excited about all of it. Um, So the book is basically a combination, accumulation of all of the work that we do. The first half of the book is really about making the case for why we need a different approach to business. Um, So it's looking at things like whiteness and white culture and how that's perpetuated, not just in business, but how that has been our standard from the day that we started preschool or wherever, you know, like wherever we happen to have um, interactions in our formal learning um, that has been offered to us as like the way to be successful. Um, So making the case why we need to rethink that it's interrogating capitalism and kind of thinking through what capitalism is and isn't and how we talk about it. Um, Also looking at just is business racist? Like, what does it like, 
what does that even mean? Why, do, why does business need to be anti-racist? Is it, is it inherently racist? Um, so kind of looking at that. And then the second half of the book is a little bit more of a practical approach to how to do either build a business or lead inside of a business with an anti-racist lens. So especially for a lot of folks who came from the background that I have or who have justice oriented, um, you know, souls and who are like looking at business, they struggle with things like charging and like making money and thinking about like scale and stuff like that. And so we're addressing those things in the book, like how I think about money, my recommendations for other people, um, also what leadership, what a liberatory approach to leadership can look like um, instead of like what we often get is an oppressive leadership, which we kind of know what that looks like. But because we don't have a solid framework for what a liberatory leadership can look like, what we often have is this like abdication of leadership because people don't want to be oppressive. They don't know how to be liberatory and still like lead and hold people accountable and, and do the things that are required of them. And so they just kind of like take this hands-off approach and that's a neglectful approach to leadership. So what does that, what does, can that look like? Also like how to build an anti-racist team, how to think about pricing, those kinds of things. Um, so that's the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, and for people who are um, coaches, there is a special love note for coaches in the book as well, because so much of the, so many of the folks that we work with now, um, come from that personal development world. The personal development space is so meaningful for me and we do a lot of work. It's not our exclusive work, but it's certainly a big um, component of who we reach and who we work with, especially now that we're certifying coaches. So um, so yeah, so that is what is in the book. I am so excited to get my hands on it. I feel like Tristan feels the same because especially pricing, okay, money and managing people are the two things I get the most questions about from people who are like, I don't want to be an asshole and like replicate systems of oppression. And I, I really appreciate how you just described the default tends to be abdicating responsibility and being like, no, I don't want to, I want to be hands-off because I don't want to cause harm. But like, what vacuum does that create for the actual harmful behavior (laughs) of other people? Yeah. Like they're not concerned about it. So they're just going to come on in and do what they've been doing. And it's not like it, that's not leadership. Like, le- mm-hmm. like you have to have leadership is a, you know, contact sport. Like you have to get in there. <laughs> you have to, it's active. It's not this passive role or this idea. Or it's not just about inspiring people. It's about like what you do, how you support others, how you coach others, how you like motivate others. Um, and how some, um, you know, the part that we don't like to talk about is not just how you hold people accountable. Yes. Sometimes, right. Like, right. Um, yeah. So those are the, sometimes there's uncomfortable parts of the work and we have gotten into a space where it's so easy for people to say, Oh, like that's harmful or that's depressive or this or that. And it can be scary because you don't want people to say that to you. Um, but you people, you know, if you're in a business and you're paying someone to do a job, like you have to make sure that the job is getting done. If you have clients, you have to make sure that your team is accountable to your clients and that's your job, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, it can get complex, but 
the answer is certainly not like, well, I'm just going to sit back and hope that it all works itself out. Yeah. I'm feeling mildly called out because like that, that has been <laughs> well, not so much in, in managing people. Cause I, I'm a solopreneur right now, but if I'm collaborating with someone, especially when there's like, that's across the line of difference or I have more power because yeah. of my identities, it, it gets very messy about like how to be in that relationship. So I'm, yeah, yeah like I said, I'm so excited to read this book. Me too. <laughs> and it is also true though, right? That you as a white woman or someone who is in, who holds an identity where they have more power than another person. If you're, if you're not showing up the way that you need to, because of someone's identity, that is also racist. Like that <laughs> is all right. Like that you can't not say the thing that needs to be said, even though it's the best thing, because you feel like you can't like it. It's in the how we communicate and how we set up relationships at the beginning. And like, it's there's so many things that we can do, but it's not. Um, but yeah, like if you're just like not going to say something because you don't want to, you know, yeah, make someone angry or you're you're you're, you're racialized, you know, you're racializing. Yeah, it's also problematic. Oh, thank Shit. you so much. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, I have some work to do. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. So you worked with Row House for this book, right? What was that like? Can you tell us about what your experience with Row House has been like? Yeah, so I mean, my experience with Row House has been amazing, of course. And to, you know, full disclosure, like Row House, and they, they have shared this, like this is known. Row House actually built, their model based on my frame, my business framework. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So Rebecca Baruki and Kristen McGinnis, the two people who founded Row House, I was their business coach before Row House came to be. So I am thrilled, (laughs) you know, and Row House, I had an agent, we were shopping the book to other people. Like it wasn't this book. Like, I don't think I would have been able to write this book the way that it has come to Mm -hmm. be in the world. If I were not with Row House, because they were so, because we were all on the same page from a business perspective, but I'm just so proud that I am working with Row House, especially because so much of the framework, you know, um, this, the work that I've, I've done with the founders is inside of the company. And so, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just super proud. And I'm like their, their model for disrupting, you know, publishing and the way that we hope to be able to disrupt it, um, is really revolutionary. It's, yeah. it's, it's a radical approach to yep. book publishing. So yeah, really excited for what they're doing and really excited that you're about, you're, you're part of their like founding authors then, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, Lauren, go ahead. Oh, just, I was just going to say what a full circle moment, right? For this book to be totally out in the world. Yeah. Very cool. So Trudy, I've heard rumors that you're very firm about boundaries and self-care and work-life balance, and that you have a, like a system and a plan for how you give yourself time off. And I would love to hear you share about that. (laughs) Absolutely. I am. And you know, like, so I'll say this, right. I am. I love my work. I love my work. And because I love my work and I'm very inspired by my work, um, sometimes I'm working at two o'clock in the morning, but that's not because I have to, that's because I want to. And it's also partly because the way that my brain works, I used to try to fight it. I used to be like, oh, like I'm up, I can't go to sleep. Like I, and I'm like laying in the bed, like, 
I should be sleeping. That's not useful, you know? So now I allow myself, like if I feel inspired to work, if that's on a Sunday, it's on a Sunday. If it's in the middle of the night, it's in the middle of the night, whatever. Um, however, in our company, and this is something that I've been practicing for a long time, and it is the way our company is designed, um, is that we have, so there's two major things. One is that Fridays are held as sacred time. And so we have a, a of the policy, we call it 40 flex. And so our team is, you know, our full-time staff, they are 40 hour week employees, but we don't schedule any meetings on Fridays, any client meetings or internal meetings, right? And so the understanding is that if people are done with what they need to do, um, that Fridays, they can do whatever they want. Like, they're not going to be called into any, you know, anything last minute. No one's expecting them to like jump on zoom and they don't have to be, it's not that kind of a thing. Um, once in a while, maybe once a quarter, we'll use Fridays to pull the team together because we, we know that it's not, not, we don't have clients on that day. So we don't have to reschedule or like shuffle things around. Um, but that's, you know, once in a while. Um, so that's, Fridays. But then the other thing we do is we have a seventh week sabbatical schedule. And so all our programs are designed in six week sprints, we call them. Um, and so even our classes, our consulting, like everything is organized around this sprint schedule. And so we work for six weeks and we go hard Monday through Thursday. Um, and then we have a week where it's not a vacation week. It is just an unscheduled week. So no meetings, no internal meetings, no client meetings. And so people can use that time to plan, to rest, to read, to take a workshop, to do whatever they want. So it's paid time. It's not considered vacation time. Sometimes people do choose to have their vacation on that week because it's convenient. They don't have to reschedule things. They're not going to be behind when they come back. Um, but otherwise it is just time for people to self-manage like their schedules and do what they need to do. So our whole company is built on that, that every team member gets that schedule. Um, and then we have a shutdown over Christmas as well. Amazing. I'm like, I'm like immediately in my head, like, okay, can I do this? How, what does this look like? How yeah, do most I do people this? Can. Yeah. I, you know, I encourage people to really sit with their, with their business and to think like, what is, a natural mm -hmm. pace for us to be working at, you know, for us, six weeks really felt like, you know, like the way to go. Um, I've worked with some other people who have decided to do like once a month, they have a long weekend. So they'll have a Friday and then a Monday that's like, just not scheduled. So they have like that extra space um, or they'll have Monday, like, you know, people will do whatever they need. Um, but if you decide that you have to make it work, you can make it work. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. I'm Every, similarly. A lot of things, a lot of things are really just about like making a decision. Yep. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Um, is it my internet that's slow? I just want to make sure before I say anything. I think Trudy got stuck there for a minute, oh, okay, but, good. but it's we're all good now. Yeah. yeah. No, okay, we're good. Yeah. Um, if it's okay, I'd like to go back to the like uh, credential conversation. I know we were talking more about school, but I know that your coaching institute is very intentionally not ICF accredited. And for anyone who doesn't know, it, that's the International Coaching Federation. It's sort of the 
for lack of a better word, I guess, umbrella certifying quote unquote yeah. body. It's kind of like a yoga alliance, but it's also like, it sounds like your standards and what you include are so far beyond what ICF would require. Like people are getting so much. Yeah. So I'd love to know more about, you know, the, the process of deciding yeah. with that. Yeah. So the reason there were a couple of reasons that we decided to not go that route. One is because it was going to just distract us from what we were trying to build um, because we would then be building something that were for that, you know, according to their standards. Um, but the other thing is that like, they're actually quite behind on standards around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and kind of making sure that that is a component of other coaching program certification. Um, and that is where we start. So we're not going to compromise anything that we're doing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not that looks like in a lot of places the way that it uh, it shows up is that you just you take your class and then you have like a one workshop that's your DEI component. You mm -hmm. know, and for us it runs through the entirety of the curriculum. Um, the other thing is that we have a broad understanding of coaching. Right? People love getting into these like debates about like what is coaching what isn't coaching oh that's not really coaching this is really cool it's such like an elitism like around like who gets to call themselves a coach right and we don't have any time for that the fact is right the fact is is that coaching is a skill right like whether or not you call yourself a coach I don't I'm not I'm less much less interested in that coaching is a skill that you can learn that can be applied in so many contexts. And my, I happen to be of the opinion that coaching is one of the most transformational skills that you can have um, or that you can use with, with people, right? Um, so in our program, we have people who don't identify as coaches. We have doctors in our program. We have professors in our program. We also have life coaches and health coaches and business coaches in our program. Um, but we have like executive directors and, you know, all kinds of people who are looking to gain the skill of coaching, not, not just coaching, but specifically equity centered coaching, which is our proprietary approach when what we teach to how we um, coach in a way that takes into account power identity you know, oppression, all anti-oppression, all these things, anti-racism, of course. Um, and once we just, once I was very clear that IFC certification was not something that we were interested in, and actually it wasn't less of a decision and more of a recognition that it wouldn't work for us because what we're really interested in doing is giving people kind of like the science and the art and the skill of coaching and we partner like our faculty who teach in the in the institute are not are also not necessarily coaches so for example and, and that's because we want them to be content experts we want them to be content experts and practitioners mm. so it's not that someone just got certified and now we're teaching them how to certify other people it's that you know the person who teaches our justice sequence is like an on the ground activist for years, you know what I mean? And like, not just that they have like the background and the professional skill, but they have done the work. Um, the people who teach our trauma-informed practice 
section of our curriculum are licensed clinicians, right? Like a doctor of psychology and a PhD in mental health counseling, right? So it's not, if you, if you go into a program that is ICF accredited, you can, you have to be like a master coach according to their standards. And just, just not, we want to be better. Like we just want that. We just want to the, the work that we're trying to put forth is just based on a different level of like, mm. of quality and practice and, um, and commitment to like the work and not just that you have, a, that you have a coaching credential and like hundreds of coaching hours. Like mm. we want to do more than that. Yeah. I'm hearing like no more box checking and like actually doing the work, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And the other thing is that we're not, again, we're not necessarily interested in certifying a whole bunch of people who want to go out and just be coaches. Um, they want to go take the coaching skill into their workplace, like into their classrooms, into their, you know, medical practices, into their clinical practices, into the nonprofit organization that they run a department for, right? Because it will make them a better leader, a better supervisor, um, a better entrepreneur or intrapreneur if they're in someone else's business, right? So that is what they're interested in. And that's what we're interested in as a company is getting the work into a lot of different places. Right. Yeah. And we'll link to, you know, all the program stuff in the show notes too, if anyone's interested. I know I'm very interested. So I encourage anyone to check out the website um, and learn more. Yeah. Do you, Trudy, as we kind of near the end of our conversation, do you want to break down like the different ways folks can access the work that you do? Because I imagine you've got different like opportunities and tiered commitment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's pretty simple. Like we want to keep things really simple. So people, the the best way to, the easiest, most accessible way for folks to start working with us. Also the best way for people who are thinking about maybe doing a certification or something, and they need like a starting point just to get to know us a bit is in our um, the collective. So it's the collective. It formerly was the collective for equity centered coaching. It's now the collective for equity centered business and leadership. Um, we're still the Institute for equity centered coaching. So we have a strong emphasis, obviously on coaching. And so that is, think of it as a professional affiliation. So you join it's for a year. You have, um, we have weekly coaching calls and professional development opportunities. There's a community, there's a library of resources. Um, so it's a super, it's two ninety seven a month or a flat rate, you know, like two nine nine seven, something like that. So super accessible. And it comes with a lot of support. And we made the decision last year to just make it. So everybody, at one point we had like a tier that, didn't include coaching, but now it's just everybody gets it because we know that's the best way for people to build community and also to get um, to get support. And our coaching calls, we have we they're like themed. So we have one that's like unpacking whiteness. We have a launch lab call for biz for people who want to come and talk about business. We have a call around liberatory leadership. Um, We have a call for black and brown folks. We call it the BIPOC Peace Lounge to just kind of unpack things that are happening in the world and, you know, like talk about things in a affinity group space. Um, And then of course, all of the the library of trainings. Mm. So that's like the most accessible 
starting point. Um, and then we have our certification programs. People can get certified in coaching or leadership or both. Many people get certified in both. Um, and then we have our consulting arms. So if people, you know, have companies and they need like training for their team or um, audits or want like executive coaching that happens through our consulting program. And that's for people who um, have more complex needs that mm -hmm. can't be satisfied in one of the other two places. And, and then we have like workshop, you know, we'll pop up a workshop right. here and there like throughout the year, but like those are our core like programs. And can people join the collective at any time or is it like a, yeah, yeah. Nope. Okay. join it at any time. Cool. This is amazing. I'm, I'm like, Lauren and I are immediately going to look more at your website after we get off yes. this call. I'm sure. Say, like I've dug around a little bit, but I'm, I'm super inspired, not only by the work itself, but also how you do it. Like you're, you've, I, what, what blows me away is how all those values are just baked into the way you've set everything up too. Um, and that's really what it's about, right? It's right. about, it's, there's such a disconnect in so many organizations between what people believe, what people value, what's in their heart, what they hope, you know, all these things and what they do. And that is because we have been trained very intentionally, right? To think about business in a certain context, to think about success in a certain context um, and to replicate just like the standard ways of achievement, working hard or being kind of like an asshole, like to people we work with, you know, just like kind of being, you know, ruthless and hustle culture and all like all of that. And we, we are incentivized in so many ways to continue to do that. Um, but that lead, once people start to realize that the ways that they're behaving are actually not aligned with what they believe, which you would think would be obvious, but is not for a lot of reasons. Um, once people see it though, it's, it's really, it, it becomes much easier to help them facilitate the changes that need to happen. You noticed, I'm, I, I feel like there's been a, a, a boom of interest in this work in the last few years, particularly since COVID started. And then since the BLM uprising in 2020, and I'm wondering like, what have you like, Beyond more interest, are there other things you've seen shift in the years that you've been doing this as, as we've moved into this like new, I don't know, era of justice work? Yeah, um, definitely the shit, definitely there's a, a level of interest, you know, just the numbers of people who are interested in this work. Um, but I think that some of the, what is encouraging is some of the uh, dilemmas that people are presenting are more complex. Mm -hmm. So years ago, when I was doing this work, the conversations were very surface level. It was very like, okay, what's the difference between diversity, equity, and inclusion? Like, let's just clear that up. You know, a lot of like the need to make the case for it. And now a lot more people understand the why and we can get more into the how, like, how do we do these things? Um, how do we, my particular um, favorite kinds of dilemmas to support people with is those places where there is this, um, where there's a duality, right? Where it's like, I need to make money, but I wanna be accessible. Like, how do I reconcile that? Like, I wanna be a leader and I don't wanna be, you know, leader to look like this you know white 
Am I holding them to standards of whiteness or is there really an issue, right? Like there's a lot of, now there's just so much more nuance that we're able to explore. Mm. Mm. You cut out there in the middle, but I think we got most of it. (laughs) So you're good. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just hearing like the tension of like multiple needs and truths. And there's a quote right up front on your website. I think it's like on the homepage. It's like, stop choosing between doing good and doing business. Mm. (laughs) It's not Mm. one or the other. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Lauren, do you have any, Oh, go ahead, Trudy. What people believe they're thing from. I was, I was just saying that that is some people feel like they're making that choice. Yep. Yep. They're like, Oh, do I make all this money and like get myself out of debt or am I a good person? Or like, am I, do I take care of people? It's like, you can do both, but that we're, we are not presented. We are very much presented with these, like you either pick, you're going to be, you know, a martyr to the cause and you're going to go work in a nonprofit and just accept that you're not going to make a lot of money and, you know, do good and be a good person and all that. Or you're going to be this like corporate, you know, person who makes all the money every year and doesn't care about anyone. Like that is not, that that's not how people are. Like people are so much more, at a spectrum, right? Yeah. right? And so we just need more models and more options for yes. how could, how we could be doing things. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, I hope that anyone listening, especially folks who run their own business and have so much of that decision-making power in the way they do it. Like if you need an example of a paradigm shifter, like Trudy is here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there are people who are able to, to both be able to grow and be profitable and, and hire people if that's the path you want to go on and do things in an equity centered way, like, yeah, and, and we'll teach you how. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll also say that it does, this isn't just about like, only, or it doesn't only apply to you if you want to have a big company with a bunch of right. employees, right? One of the things that I try to do in the book is point back to like, if you're a solo entrepreneur, this also, you are included in this conversation, right? Yes. If you yes. interact with other humans, this applies to you, <laughs> Um, whether those are contractors or just like the folks that you're interacting with at the grocery store, man, I, I was at a restaurant the other day and, um, I saw the, the employees had wrote like written out a sign that said, um, the whole world is short staffed. Be kind to those of us who showed up. Mm. And I was like, man, like it's, it's, rough out there like people are ever since the you know we're trying to open back up the world the more I talk to people the more I'm hearing stories of how like rude and nasty consumers are you know are being to their what we would call essential workers in 2020 you know and um, everyone needs to just chill out so this it applies to everyone right equity is not just about uh between people who have different racial identities, right? It's about like how all of us are interacting with each other every day. Certainly there is a very important racial element and power element to all of that conversation. And it is also about just how we interact as like members of a community. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Power dynamics are everywhere. Yes. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. 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 Lauren, do you have any final questions before we ask Trudy if there's anything else she wants to share that she hasn't shared yet? No more questions. Just super grateful. 
Yeah. Yeah. Same. Trudy, is there anything that you want to share that you haven't gotten to share or anything you want to just say or name or whatever? I will say, I will take the opportunity to just say, like, if you're interested in any of this, please get the book. You know, Row House is a brand new publishing company that has broken records and is really doing something um, unprecedented, literally in the field of publishing. And so, you know, purchasing the books from Row House helps not only the first time authors, but also it helps Row House continue to be able to um, publish other authors who hold marginalized identities and who are writing books that are justice forward um, books. So definitely pick up the book, enjoy it, share it. Um, and we are eternally grateful for all the support. Awesome. Yeah, Thank we'll you make so sure much. Yeah. We'll make sure it's the row house link in the show notes. For us. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Trudy. It's really been a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah. Nice meeting you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Take good care. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. And on Instagram at alltfinpodcast or at Tristan Katz Creative, or and at Lauren K. Roberts.